Hello, friends, and welcome to the Afternoon Tea Literary Society podcast. I'm your host, Brianne, and today we're going to be going over part three of The Book Thief by Marcus Susak. But before we get started, how are you doing today? Uh, how has your last couple of weeks been since we last met? Um, I know for me, it's been pretty hectic just because um, not that school is starting to ramp up, but I think... You know, one of my professors was pretty laid back for a while because we started school a little earlier than we usually do, and she didn't even have, like, a syllabus out or a schedule of anything, so that was pretty stressful. But now she has it all out to us, so now I can get to putting everything into a spreadsheet to make sure I can get all my assignments in on time. So that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, this winter storm is pretty crazy, Texas. I believe is now without power and you know I think whatever the political stance is people <laughs> deserve to have power and gas to stay warm and obviously like climate change is very real and causes these extreme temperatures and weathers and it just seems like a tough time to be living in you know um, but I'm gonna try to see if I can find those posts with all the mutual aids um, that way I can repost them so that way we can spread some awareness to that. Beyond that, um, yeah, how are you guys doing? I think I heard on the news recently that um, hopefully by April people can all be vaccinated, um, which is exciting. I am very excited for <laughs> the vaccine. I'd like to do something without fear of me or my husband experiencing severe symptoms or like our family members having to experience severe symptoms and I'm excited to travel again <laughs> I miss traveling and you know the last place that we had traveled to which I'm kind of glad we got well you know my husband and I we were got married in 2019 I'm kind of glad we did when we did because oh my gosh <laughs> everything just got so crazy at the end of 2019 and 2020 and um you know, we were able to go to New Zealand and thankfully did not have to push that off or anything. And uh, it's such an amazing time. Um, and I definitely miss it. I miss the culture. And then also beyond the fact that New Zealand has handled the pandemic pretty well. Um, I just miss everything else about it. But yeah, uh, I hope that your past couple of weeks have been good. I have rediscovered my love for journaling. Um, I just purchased maybe two sticker sheets um, from people in California to decorate my journal. Well, not decorated on the outside, but like on the inside um, near relevant things. And it's pretty crazy because like now I actually enjoy it because before I stopped and then um, I had a just a sort of hiatus from journaling and I would try to get back into it again and it wasn't really like a it wasn't really working for me, but now, now I love it. And I also started working out consistently. Um, 2021, we're doing things for our, our mental health to try to uh, help and not make it worse. <laughs> or self-sabotage, I guess. But it, it's been, I don't know, life, you know? The last two weeks has been, there are good days, there are bad days, there are days in between. Um, there are days where I feel more tired than others. There are days where imposter syndrome kicks in in high gear during class. And then there are times where I feel incredibly confident in those last two weeks 
basically four classes um i think uh there was probably one class where i felt confident but hopefully now with like i said i don't know if it's just me or if it's just because of what i'm used to at a graduate level pace that like when we don't have um organization it kind of stresses me out and it makes me feel like i'm behind on stuff even though it's not my fault i don't know it's pretty crazy like i think now having a schedule in front of me where i can do things at my pace and be prepared because that's really all it was is that we would get like emails last minute from one of our professors and be like here's the reading hopefully you have time for all of it and I would just go to class completely unprepared and I just feel so I don't know like I'm not supposed to be there but I know it's not on me but anyway I'm just excited to feel <laughs> organized again and on top of all of my schoolwork um it's interesting because there are other people too you know who in grad school all feel the same not just about the organizational thing but just like this intense imposter syndrome constantly even though we're probably all in the same headspace um it's just yeah it's pretty common you won't find that many without imposter syndrome and sometimes I hear people talk and I'm like wow what's it like I would like to not have this um, but I'm almost done. My coursework is done this semester. Maybe that's why it's a little bit more stressful too, but, um, I'm kind of happy to have this podcast to be able to read something that's not, uh, medieval or in the romantic era, romantic period, sorry. Um, and just have something to like, I don't know, something else to take me out of this feeling of imposter syndrome. Um, because I think when we're when we read, you know, this text through um, a sacred reading practice like Flora Legium, it like definitely makes the text feel more like it's every single person's individual text, if that makes sense. Because we're all grabbing different things out of the text, like different pieces of wisdom from the text, and I really like reading it through that those lenses. It may not be an academic approach, but I think it's still a really good one. Um, because then also it kind of brings in like this mindfulness and like when you put all of these, like for the Florilegium, putting all of these phrases or words together, it's, it like just speaks to you on a whole different level than if you were just reading the text for context. Um, so I guess with that in mind <laughs> and all my rambling of imposter syndrome leading to this, um, Let's get into some summaries. So part three was pretty lengthy. Um, there were two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight mini sections within this part. Um, and I think that's a little bit more than usual, but it's pretty juicy. So we'll get into it. So in part three, Liesl steals more books and Hans asks Liesl to keep his secrets or any secrets that make come to pass in the future and he trades more cigarettes for Mein Kampf. Liesel meets the mayor's wife for the first time or she faces her <laughs> for the first time after the book burning. Um, the exchange is quiet but the mayor's wife does in fact remember Liesel even though it, it kind of seems like she doesn't. The mayor's wife invites Liesel into her house to see her collection of books 
and Liesl is astounded. <laughs> in Enter the Struggler, we are informed of a new character who is a Jewish man named Max. In this section, he is hiding, he is starving, and he is fatigued. In the Attributes of Summer, Liesl really likes the shoulder shrug, and she continues to visit the mayor's house with hopes of seeing more of the books. And in this section, we also find out that the mayor's wife lost someone very important to her in 1918. And a quick Wikipedia search <laughs> would tell us that during this time, uh, the German Revolution was happening. It was a civil conflict at the end of the First World War. After this visit to the mayor's house, hunger and starvation drives Liesel and Rudy Steiner to join a group of kids and teens who stole food. In the Aryan shopkeeper, Liesl and Rudy find a coin on the floor and they share some candy. And the struggler continued, Max is traveling and basement surfing slash running away. He tries to go undercover to seem like an Aryan German. In Tricksters, Rudy and Liesl wreak more havoc around town, but in the name of hunger, they help feed other starving kids as well. In The Struggler concluded, Max is on his way to Mulking and eventually to Munich Street. So to jump into the next section, we'll be going through our sacred reading practice, which is, for this text, Florilegium. And just a very quick reminder, uh, Florilegium, for this text, is the gathering of flowers, <laughs> at least in English terms. <laughs> um, and where we pick out phrases or sentences that stick out to us and we bring them together into a bouquet and see what wisdom it offers us. If you listen to the previous episodes, um, I referenced the Bless Book podcast and Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I'll go ahead and put a link in the show description uh, just to have a reminder there in case you want to read up on other sacred practice reading practices. So, for the first phrase, which I really guess is the theme of this section, um, on page 137, uh, the word skepticism, like, sprung out at me. And on the same page, 137, she was accustomed to the burden. Page 147, there was no apology. Page 151, no reaction was forthcoming from the mute, damaged woman. Page 159, don't get caught on the fence. And lastly, page 175, the juggling comes to an end now, but the struggling does not. So reading through these, I'm not really sure what to make of it other than the theme kind of seems to be skepticism. Looking through these all over again, I guess the best way I would probably arrange them is into probably two sentences. Um, which would be, there is no apology, no reaction was forthcoming from the mute damaged woman, she was accustomed to the burden, and then the next sentence would be, the juggling comes to an end now, but the struggling does not, don't get caught on the fence. And throughout this part, I mean, there's kind of a lot of paranoia of being caught for Let's say in Liesl's case, getting caught for stealing a book. In Max's case, paranoia of getting caught as a German Jew. In Hans Huberman's case, realistically being caught 
as a non-Nazi sympathizer, I guess, as someone who doesn't really care for the Nazi parties and ideas, but kind of still needs to live. (laughs) And this part, it kind of seems, at least the text seems to suggest that life requires a healthy level of skepticism to survive. At the very least, when one lives in a chaotic and unstable world, such as that of Liesel, Hans, and Max, each time we meet someone new, at least in this part, we, we meet the mayor's wife, who Liesel is skeptical of, and then the mayor is skeptical of Liesel, or the mayor's wife, sorry. And then when Liesel and Rudy meet the leader of the group of kids who steal food, he is skeptical of them both, mostly because they're new to him and mostly because he just doesn't know their ability to steal food. And just this idea of don't get caught on the fence realistically comes from the group of kids stealing food and it is such a chaotic and dangerous situation to be in but it seems like that's also a theme within this part too is don't get caught you know helping one side by pretending or masquerading to be a part of another Um, especially with Max who is hiding in basement surfing basically at friends houses some have to go into the war with the Nazi party and even admit like life could be so much worse I could be you and while that may be true they're also helping Jewish people which could get them in trouble as well and the mayor's wife too I mean the mayor has to uphold these laws brought upon the Nazi party and the Third Reich and yet she's here allowing a little girl go through her collection of books most of which were probably burned (laughs) not the mayor's wife's books but like they were not allowed and they were banned within the country because they paint allies or Jewish people in good light or were considered propaganda against the Third Reich and it, it just all kind of comes on to you know, being skeptical of who you trust with what information of yourself. And in these times, at least in the the context of the book again, I sort of understand that survival tactic of being skeptic, sorry, of being a skeptic um, of everyone you meet, of whatever you see, because you just, you never really know. And even then with like the stealing of the food, There was a a part where Rudy and Liesel steal from a farmer's kid who is on his way to deliver food to the priest. And they ration stealing by saying, or they rationalize stealing by saying the priest wouldn't be getting any food if there wasn't more than enough for the family to have. And the priests are all fat anyway, so they can (laughs) afford to lose a couple pounds and You know, the whole city is starving. They're all starving. Apples are even too rich for their bellies that when they eat more than one, they're throwing them up. And I think even being skeptical of what is considered criminal during certain times 
um, can definitely be healthy, especially because these kids, you know, they're just children who are starving. They're innocent parties who didn't know better, I guess, at least in the context of the book. Not, I am not saying historically, just within the context of the book, these children are starving and they're struggling to stay alive and, um, you know, they help each other out. Maybe they don't help their families necessarily just because they feel like if they did, then all eyes would be on their family and, and then there would be questions asked and then families being, being in more trouble than they should be. But just even being skeptical of that because they, even the kids call themselves criminals, but they all help each other out. They call themselves criminals with the moral code. So yeah, I think that this text is kind of showing us the the need for skepticism in a world that is so chaotic and unstable, like not expecting apologies during an unstable time. And then also just like the sadness that also comes with skepticism or... Um, as it said very early on in the in part three that Liesl was accustomed to a burden. Of course, it's talking about laundry, but when you take it out and parse it with these other quotes and these other phrases, being accustomed to a burden, there is definitely some sadness behind that of constantly feeling like you have to carry one person's burden or your own burden and even if someone wants to help you kind of just shrugging it off to carry your burden on your own um, because you're just so used to it even if people are trying to help even if people want to help you with your burden there's kind of just almost a level of comfort with carrying it yourself even if it may not be healthy or even if it may be weighing you down so you can't go as far or you get tired easier or burnt out easier i think in this way we see skepticism also being harmful as in being skeptical of people wanting to help you um in lisa's case she's always thinking that rudy just wants to kiss her granted he does bring it up all the time but you know she's constantly skeptical of his motives and even if he tries to help her it's it's a level of like unhealthy skepticism at times where she just carries the burden herself because what's, you know, what's the use of sharing that if, if she's constantly like distrusting someone's motives, you know? So I'm just going to read through my rearrangement again um, and see if I get, if I get anything else out of it, or maybe you might get something out of it. And if you do, let me know um, because I don't know, I'm very interested to see if you guys get the same things that I'm getting or if you guys get like a completely different understanding even from my florilegiums or even your florilegiums. You know, obviously it doesn't have to be the same. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it again. So there is no apology, no reaction forthcoming from the mute damaged woman. She was accustomed to the burden. The juggling comes to an end now, but the struggling does not. Don't get caught on the fence. I think, oh, I also remember, I kind of forgot earlier, just the quote that no reaction was forthcoming from the mute damaged woman. I think even in that too, there's a level of skepticism, right? Like 
not being able to ha- produce a reaction or like under the circumstances of the chaos and the instability they like the quote even says that the mayor's wife is a damaged woman for whatever reason we don't know what level of damage there is yet or what trauma she's seen or experienced mm-hmm. but just that response of being skeptical with your emotions as well of like guarding yourself not having a reaction when Elisa will ask who is this person's name that's written on the book like what do they have to do with you or with the mayor it's just this like constant being on guard and skeptical of everyone around you not being able to know who to trust and who not to trust yeah and then the the last one the last sentence where the juggling comes to an end now but the struggling does not um just definitely like seems again just a level of skepticism of like things might be easy for a second but it'll never end the struggling will never end whatever happens in life like you might be at ease for like certain periods or even when max finds his way to munich street you know there might be a level of ease there might be a level of comfort but knowing that he is a jewish man living in nazi germany there can never be a sense of ease all the time there will always be an element of struggle and anything he does and anything Liesel does and anything Hans or Rosa Uberman do, the struggling will just never end. And I don't know, I just I guess I was just struck by I guess the different layers of skepticism that, you know, there is a healthy level, but there's also kind of unhealthy and and the don't get on the caught on the fence is like, you know, don't be one foot in don't be one foot out don't be wishy-washy but also I don't know I don't know what to make of that one when it comes to skepticism it it kind of just seems like you have to know who to trust and know who not to trust and being caught in in a in an area or in a situation where you don't know but you're still open with someone or you don't know and you don't share a burden with someone leads to some sort of greater struggle than we know. I don't know. I'm getting stumped on this one. But overall, I do think this part is definitely trying to reveal just the many layers of skepticism. And, you know, the way that that's a res- sometimes skepticism is a response to the environment that we're in that we've grown up in whether that's familiar whether that's political um whether it's among friends it it just seems to be a reaction to the things around us and also like i said just like healthy level not so healthy level yeah i don't know those last ones got me stumped so i think i'm gonna end it here because i've already been talking for close to half an hour um and my husband helps me edit these so he's gonna have to edit a lot um but thank you guys thank you so much um please let me know what you guys got from the flora legiums maybe you have an insight completely different than mine i would honestly love to hear it um i think this schedule of uh 
releasing episodes bi-weekly kind of works pretty well for me right now with my school schedule so I think I'm just going to continue to do that okay yeah so in the next couple weeks so say on March 3rd we will be reading through part four of the book thief by Marcus Susak okay everybody thank you so much uh for listening for tuning in for hearing my ramblings <laughs> and I hope your next couple of weeks go well and I'll see you next time or I'll talk to you next time or you'll be hearing from me next time <laughs> okay everybody thank you so much again for listening um, please share this podcast with anyone who you think might be interested in reading through the book thief and have a good day bye